Welcome to Activate Church Podcast and thanks for listening. We hope this message helps you and we pray that God speaks to you through this week's message. Let's pray. Father, I just thank you so much for this day. I thank you, Lord, that uh, you are building your church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And Father, I thank you for the momentum that is at Activate. I thank you, Lord, that that's going to continue into 2017 in a significant way. And Father, I just ask this morning as we head into this Christmas season that, Father, you would, uh, Lord, move powerfully in our hearts, through our lives. And God, I pray this morning that this word would be a catalyst for us growing closer to your heart. Lord, we ask you to reveal your heart this morning. We ask that the spirit of prophecy would be in this room. And Lord, that there would be a heart that is open and and ears to hear what the spirit is saying to this church and to us as individuals. And so, Father, we commit this day, we commit this Christmas season to you. May it not just be a time of gift giving, but may it be a time of encounter with the gift giver himself, Jesus Christ. And uh, Father, we just love you, we honour you, and uh, we commit this morning to you in Jesus' name. Amen. I want you to go in your Bible with me to Matthew chapter 11, verse 1. And if uh, you don't have a Bible because you've probably memorized it and you know everything of what I'm about to read, um, that's cool. Just listen in. Um, I want to just read a few verses from verse 1 to verse 6. And it's an encounter between Jesus and John the Baptist's messengers. And uh, it says this in verse 1. When Jesus had finished instructing his 12 disciples, he went on from there to teach and preach in their cities. Now, when John heard in prison about the deeds of the Christ, he sent word by his disciples and he said to him, Are you the one who is to come or shall we look for another? And Jesus answered them, Go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight and the lame walk. Sorry, I just lost my page. Lepers are cleansed and the deaf hear and the dead are raised up and the poor have good news preached to them. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. On Mother's Day uh, this year, as some of you know, um, my uh, 59-year-old mother passed away. And obviously, um, this year for us has been a significant year for our family in terms of just processing grief and all the stuff that comes when uh, a close family member and a loved one passes away. And uh, we did everything that we knew to do in terms of uh, praying, believing, anointing her with oil. We fasted. We got men and women of God in full of faith to pray for her. And uh, we we followed the pattern of Scripture. And yet still, uh, even though we did everything we knew how, um, she now uh, is in heaven having a party while we're all sad down here on earth. And... um, Even in her death, my mum was an evangelist, and so even in her death, at her funeral, mum asked me to uh, preach at her funeral. It was the hardest message I ever had to preach. But 43 people made first-time decisions to follow Jesus. And so in the midst of death, there is also life. And and so we we sort of, as we look back upon those events of this year, uh, been so defining of this year, but significant in, in more ways than one. And just recently, um, our eight-year-old son, Joshua, comes up to Simone 
and uh, says, Hey, mum, why didn't God heal Nana when we asked him to and believed that he would? And all of a sudden you realize that's a very big question from a little boy. That at eight years of age, already he's starting to process matters of faith, issues of prayer, and why didn't God do something when we expected him to and when we believed for him to do it? And my wife took a big, deep breath in and asked for grace and wisdom from heaven and tried to answer as best as she could. But often the church beats up on people like Doubting Thomas in the Bible. Preachers love to beat up on Doubting Thomas. Uh, and we, we lift him up as a role model of, of what not to follow. Don't be like Doubting Thomas. And consider Doubting Thomas that he spent three and a half years in the presence of Jesus in the flesh. He saw Jesus heal the sick, raise the dead, cast out demons, preach the gospel, prophesy things that came to pass. He saw the most amazing things in the flesh and yet still Thomas doubted Jesus. And so we beat up on Thomas and yet I think more believers identify with doubting Thomas than we care to admit. Most of us struggle with doubt and wrestle with all sorts of doubt-filled questions more than we want to even let others know that we're wrestling with. I read a, a, a stat, a survey of um, CNN in America did a survey in 2011 across uh, East Coast to West Coast of America of different churches and they discovered that 32% of church attenders have real doubts about God's existence. In other words, over a quarter of a congregation are sitting there or standing there singing the songs, lifting their hands and questioning whether Jesus Christ really is the Son of God or whether God really does care about the details of their life. Doubts about God aren't new. They're as old as Adam and Eve. In fact, if you read Genesis 3, you'll discover that uh, Satan's strategy is to cast doubt on what God said. And that strategy hasn't changed. He said to Adam and Eve through the form of a serpent, did God really say, don't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? I mean, did he really say that? And so too in our culture and in our lives, the enemy comes to us and the enemy casts doubt on things that God has already spoken into our hearts on what we already know to be true in our lives. So if you've ever had doubts about God, you're not alone. Every one of us has doubts about God. Doesn't matter if you're a preacher, a pastor, whoever you are, been through Bible college, every one of us has doubts. We ask questions like, is Jesus Christ really the Son of God? If God is all-powerful, if He is sovereign and all-knowing and everywhere present, why doesn't He get involved more in the affairs of humanity and all the pain and the suffering that we see? I mean, why God why didn't God heal that person? Or why hasn't the prophecy come to pass yet? We all ask these questions. And sadly, I think the church has often been threatened by our doubt-filled questions. Because we're a bit like the German philosopher Goethe who says, keep your doubts to yourself, I've got enough of my own. 
Because if you start to share your doubts and then I share my doubts, then, you know, this is a house of cards and this thing's going to just collapse in on itself because if the, everyone's doubting, then, then we're going to have struggles about this. And yet, as I read the Gospels, I encounter a Jesus that is totally secure with our doubt-filled questions. In fact, God has more tolerance for your doubts than often we do for our own doubts. I was on a plane from Melbourne to Perth. I minister in Perth once a month and I've counted all four hours and 20 minutes of that flight from Melbourne to Perth. And generally for me, because now I speak for a living, when I hop on a plane, I don't want to talk to anyone. I know that may sound very unchristian, but it's just where I'm at right now, right? I don't want to talk to anyone. And so I I put on my noise cancelling headphones and I open up a book and I want to enter into my own special space. Can anyone say amen to what I'm talking about and so I just want some quiet I want some I want some silence I want some peace and solitude and yet God puts me next to a chatterbox who wants to have a conversation and see, so this guy just won't shut up, right? He just keeps talking and, and, he, and, and I, I'm acting like, you know, I'm sort of half uh, understanding what he's saying, but I've got noise cancelling headphones. I don't, I don't understand what he's saying. And, and so I'm sort of smiling like a Christian and then going, oh God. And, and, and then, and, and so he asked me the age old question, what do you do for a living? And for me, that either shuts down the conversation or it launches it, right? And I thought of answering that question, I am a prophet of God who will call down fire upon you if you keep asking me stupid questions. But then I thought maybe Jesus wouldn't like that or do that. So maybe I should, you know, answer him and see where it goes. Well, three and a half hours later, right? We have solved all of the world's problems. We've dealt with creation and evolution. And then he goes, he believes that religion is the cause of all evil. That was a good one. And so we spent, you know, half an hour talking about that, unpacking about that. And he just shared with me doubt after doubt, after question after question. At the end of the conversation, he's like, well, thanks for having a discussion with me. I said, well, really, I listen, you talk, but that's cool. And and he said, you know what? I'm just appreciative of the fact that, that you as a, believer were willing to listen to my questions and as best as you could answer them he said because every time I talk to a believer or ask a Christian these questions they get insecure they get threatened they don't know how to answer them I got the opportunity to pray with this guy at the end of that conversation ask God to reveal his heart to him God began to minister to this guy and you realize God has more tolerance for our doubts and our wrestles this morning than even what we have with each other. To doubt is to be human. The issue is what you do with your doubts is what matters. And we've got to take a, a page out of John the Baptist's book this morning because John the Baptist had doubts, but he brought his doubts to Jesus. Many of us take our doubts to university. We take, or we get more doubts at university. Or we take our doubts to our jobs or our doubts to a shopping mall or doubts to the phone or doubts to a, a, a certain philosophy or ideology. We take our doubts all sorts of places, but we never ever consider about bringing our doubts to Jesus. Just bring your doubts to the altar this morning. And so of all the people in the Bible whom you think would never have doubts about Jesus... For me, John the Baptist would be one of those people. I mean, John the Baptist was the cousin of Jesus. 
John the Baptist, when he was still in his mother's womb, when pregnant Mary, mother of Jesus, walked into the presence of of Elizabeth, pregnant with John the Baptist, talk about a spirit-to-spirit recognition. If you know the Gospels or read it, you'll see that the Bible says that the baby that was in Elizabeth's womb leapt for joy and was filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, I don't know about you, but that's a bit of a recognition. That, that even John the Baptist in the womb recognizes that the divinity, the identity of the Son of God. Not only that, but John the Baptist was called to be the prophet, the forerunner who would come and prophesy of the, the coming Messiah. John the Baptist was the one that pointed Jesus out. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. John the Baptist was the one who baptized Jesus in the River Jordan. The heavens were open, the Spirit descended like a dove and remained upon Jesus of all the people in the Bible whom you think would never have doubts about Jesus it was John the Baptist and yet John the Baptist has sent messengers to Jesus questioning Jesus identity as the son of God are you the one who is to come or shall we look for another why on earth is this happening I'll tell you why. It's because you've got John in verse 2 to 3 who is now in prison and he is in a dark place. And in a dark place, doubts about God often surface in our lives. John the Baptist is actually forgetting in the dark places of his life what God has already revealed to him in the light. His ministry has turned to misery because this wasn't how it was supposed to turn out. I'm in prison facing execution and I've prophesied all these things, Jesus. And here you are, Jesus, having the time of your life and you seem to be having a party everywhere you go. And here I am and I'm facing death. And I thought I was going to rule and reign with you and we were going to usher in the messianic kingdom together. We were going to overthrow our enemies, the Romans, and we were going to conquer the the forces of darkness and we were going to see mighty moves of God and accept it isn't turning out the way that I thought it would because doubts about God begin to surface when we experience contradiction and paradox and we go through dark times. I had a friend who was going scuba diving and uh, the instructor said to him, "Um, at some point you're going to encounter dark murky waters. You're going to be disoriented. You're going to be confused. You're going to feel like you want to panic. Just don't forget what the instructor told you on the surface when you go into those dark waters. And my concern is that I'm seeing believers all over the church quit on God, quit the teaching and and, and fundamental foundational doctrines of the Bible, quit on their relationship with God, quit this thing called the church. And it's not because they're bad people it's simply because they've allowed the contradiction the darkness of the paradox to actually uh, inform their approach to life where they've forgotten in the dark what God has already revealed to them in the light they've checked out they've given up they've said it's too hard Paul said in the last days the love of many will grow cold How is that possible? How would that become a reality? I tell you how. It's because those who are in love with Jesus fall out of love because they forget the promises. They forget the truths. 
They forget the encounters they once had when they go through dark prison-like circumstances and things don't appear like they're going to go their way. I read a quote once that said, when a train goes through a dark tunnel, you don't throw away the ticket and jump off. You sit still and you trust the engineer. And some of us are going through a dark tunnel in, in, this, in this season of darkness that's in the world. And we're like, we're checking out. We're, we're wanting to quit. We're wanting to jump off. But you've got to understand, there's light at the end of the tunnel. And there was light before you walked into that tunnel. And God has a word for you, not only from your past, but a word for you for your future. And you've got to hold on to the word. And you've got to hold on to the truth when you're going through darkness because this thing is worth it. This whole thing's worth it. You see, the Bible records John the Baptist's doubt because you and, I, you and I are John the Baptist. You see, whenever you read the Bible, you've got to find yourself in the text. When I read this, I read myself. I'm John the Baptist. I'm the one questioning. I'm the one preaching, but I'm also the one questioning. Because I go through paradoxes and all sorts of things just like you. And when you're in a dark place, you are most vulnerable to be offended at God. An unresolved offense towards God is the single greatest stumbling block for believers. This is why at the end of this encounter, you see in verse 6 that, that um, uh, Jesus says to the messengers, and blessed is the one who is not offended by me. In other words, it's implying that John the Baptist is at risk of allowing his offense towards Jesus to mark and shape his approach to life, at least in the final days of his life. In fact, the Greek word for offense is scandalon. It means to react negatively. And when you're going through a contradiction in life, there is a temptation to react negatively, not just to people, but ultimately to God. Because you're offended at the way that God apparently isn't moving or is moving in your life. And to understand this, you've got to understand the contrast between John the Baptist and Jesus. John the Baptist was a Nazarite. His devotion to holiness was extreme. He was prophetic and his devotion and commitment to his faith was ascetic, meaning he wasn't allowed to cut his hair. He wasn't allowed to drink alcohol. He uh, had, could not touch any unclean thing. He was a unique, weird individual. He would have his own light and easy diet, locusts and wild honey. He'd have his own fashion line, uh, you know, like camel's hair and leather. Uh, he, he would live in bizarre places, out in wilderness, desert, away from people. And then when people would come out to see this crazy man, he'd yell at them, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. This guy is an extreme dude. Right, But here's the one that who was raised in his family of origin with an extreme view of holiness. And he said, behold, there is one coming after me who is holier than I am. Who I'm not even worthy to untie his shoelaces. And in John the Baptist's mind, it meant as holy as I am, as extreme as I am, Jesus is going to be even more. And yet Jesus comes on the scene and his first miracle is to turn water into wine. He must have been Australian. And so Jesus just loves a party, right? Everywhere Jesus goes, it's a party. In fact, Jesus said of himself, I've come that you may have life, life in all of its abundance, life in all of its fullness. Everywhere Jesus went, there was life. 
In fact, his lack of holiness was so criticised that they accused him of being a drunkard and a glutton, right? My kind of Jesus, right? And so Jesus was this person who didn't fit the religious protocol of the sort of person that you would hold up as being the Messiah and an example. And John the Baptist's brain is doing gymnastic backflips because he can't work it out. He's like, I, everywhere I go, it's intense. It's like, it feels like the atmosphere, like a funeral, wherever John the Baptist is. And everyone's looking at John the Baptist like, you're weird. But everywhere Jesus is, it's a wedding feast and there's life and there's party and it's happiness. That's why our churches should reflect the character of who God is and who Jesus is. Doesn't mean you can't mourn, doesn't mean you can't be sad. But when we come into the presence of God, there should be a life about us. There should be an abundance of generosity and grace about us that is contagious and people really do taste and see through us that God is good. And so John the Baptist, he can't work it out. And so all of a sudden, his expectations are now unfulfilled. And, it, and he, can, he can't compute it. And so just as John the Baptist's uh, unfulfilled expectations have doubts at the back of them, so do ours. We all have unfulfilled expectations. I remember I sat in front of an influential Christian leader years ago, a person who had been instrumental in helping shape some of my gifting and call. And I remember them saying to me in their office, they said, you know what? God has disappointed me way too many times and he'll disappoint you as well. And it was almost like this curse, this poison that they were sort of putting on me. And I remember sitting there going, I just want to get out of this room. And I felt the Spirit of God say, get as far away as you can and never come back. Not because I don't love this person, but because of the trail of destruction that is about to come from their life. And as I'm pondering this, God brings to me Hebrews 12, 15, which says, let no root of bitterness spring up and cause trouble. By it, many become defiled. And to this day, I haven't had a conversation with this person, not because I don't love them, but I've been praying for them, but because I've seen the trail of destruction that has come from unresolved offence towards God and towards people. You study spiritual warfare and you'll discover unresolved offence towards God, the church and people is the doorway for the greatest uh, stronghold of the demonic to actually come into your life, come into your mind because the demonic is always connected to bitterness. And where you don't deal with bitterness, and it's the number one issue in the church when it comes to issues of stronghold and sin, is that when we fail to deal with bitterness, we're actually opening a doorway to the, to the forces of darkness, to placing a stronghold in our lives. You see, the cost of offense is too expensive to let into your heart. You've got to bring your offended heart to God. Because God's got answers to your questions. It's interesting, Jesus answers, go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind see, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed and the deaf hear. The dead are raised up and the poor have good news preached to them. Now notice Jesus answers John the Baptist's doubts, not by pointing to his doctrinal statement or his ideology, but pointing to his fruit. He said, you shall know them by their fruit. He points to the fruit of the kingdom. He doesn't argue and debate with them. I think sometimes the church wants to argue and debate with the world because we actually are lacking the true authentic demonstration of power and spirit to actually show the world 
And so we want to resort to our, you know, 10 doctrinal statements and our ideology and, and, and our view on holiness and law. And, and, and we want to sort of, sort of argue the world or argue doubters into place of faith into the kingdom of God. But I've never seen a doubter being argued into the kingdom of God. I've only ever seen doubters or people who are unbelievers loved into the kingdom of God or encountering the power and authenticity of who God is and, and through that becoming the door. I, I uh, was in a fitness center a few months ago and I, the personal trainer came up to me and he had his arm in a bandage. He'd injured his arm. And I asked him how he injured his arm and he knew that I was a, a, a believer and a follower of Christ and what I did for a living. And he came up to me and he was sort of looking around the room as if any, was anyone hearing the conversation. And he leans in and he says, um, do you think you could do something for my arm? And I'm sort of looking at him like, is he asking what I think he's asking? And and because I'm not a health professional, I think he's asking what I think he's asking. And he goes, you know, like like do your stuff to my arm. And I'm looking at him and I'm like, oh, do my stuff. And I said, all right, bro, come over here. So we go in the corner of the gym. It's like we're doing like a drug transaction or something. And I'm looking around the gym, not wanting to embarrass him. And I said, the simplest prayer, put my hand on his arm. And I said, in the name of Jesus, I command this arm to be healed. Amen. That's it. That's all I said. And all of a sudden, his arms started to heat up. He goes, my arm's heating up. He goes, my arm feels like it's on fire. He goes, my arm is now going numb. What have you done to me? He goes, what is that? I said, that's the stuff. You asked for the stuff. I gave you the stuff. I mean, do you want the stuff or not? And his arm gets completely healed. The next day, the bandage is off, right? And so when the world, when the doubters come knocking at your door, when the doubt feels, you've got to find someone who's carrying the stuff. And you've got to stop trying to convince and argue and debate and just show the world the stuff of the love of Jesus and the power of the kingdom of God. And if you don't have the stuff, come down today and get the stuff. Get what you need because we are in a culture, we're in a world where there's doubt running rampant everywhere. And doubt even in the church, doubt even in our own hearts. Isn't it interesting that Jesus actually quotes the prophet Isaiah when he answers, if you do the background study, he quotes scripture to answer John the Baptist. Almost all the time when Jesus is responding to the Pharisees, to the disciples, to, to, to people he's ministering to, he quotes scripture back to them. Almost all the answers you are looking for in this current culture, 99.99% of answers you are looking for are already found in the Word of God. Almost all of them. And the ones that aren't there, probably God doesn't want you to have answers to. And so you've just got to be like, okay, I'm not going to understand necessarily the mystery of who God is, maybe until I stand before Him face to face. And even if there isn't a direct answer, God, what's your will for my life? There is a general principle in the Word of God that will inform what it is that God has called you to. But if we don't read the Word, if we don't keep God's Word in front of us, then when we're in a dark place, we'll too easily forget and we'll find ourselves doubting just like John the Baptist. But as you keep God's word in front of you, you won't forget in the dark what God told you in the light. That's why Psalm 119 says, I will fix my eyes on your ways. I will not forget your word. What Satan does, he uses distraction, the distraction of disappointment. 
to deceive us into doubting what we already know to be true. You know, on top of my mum passing away, uh, my sister was incarcerated in prison. Many of you have heard me for many years and we've been praying for 16 years for my sister's transformation and hasn't happened yet. But recently God spoke to me in the middle of the night in a significant way uh, about her soon coming salvation. And, and I know that God is at work in her heart and in her life. But, but my, mom ne- my sister never got to say goodbye to my mum for t- two years, never talked to my mum, never said anything to my mum. And so she never got to say goodbye to her. And so you can imagine as a family, that there's, a, that, that there's all sort of grief and darkness around that. And then on top of that, you know, she abandons her daughter. And now my dad is raising his granddaughter as his own daughter and has been doing that now for a long time. And, and, and we're all sick with the stress of all this. I'm supposed to be in two different countries, in three different cities, ministering at to cancel everything. Right about there, I was like, Lord, the rapture would be good right about now. I mean, if you want to come back, I've got no issues about that. I'm ready to go. I've had enough of this world. Has anyone ever been there? I've had enough of this. And being with you sounds like a really good option right now because I don't know how much more of this I can take. I remember a, a nurse from another ward, two weeks before she died, wasn't even tending to my mum, walked up to me, asked an insensitive question, said, uh, what's your mum's dying wish? I looked at her incredulously and I'm like, to live, what's your dying wish? And that didn't go down too well. And so, um, but it was all, it's, it's like, it's an example, all this negativity, all this doubt, all this darkness. And I walked into mum's room in the hospital and, opened up the Word of God. And I had to remind myself of the promises of God again. And I opened the book of Joshua and I read, don't be frightened and don't be dismayed for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. And I turned to the master sufferer himself, Job, and I read the words, though he slay me, yet will I trust in him. And I turned to the book of Psalms and read the words of King David, weeping may endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning. Then I turned to the book of James and I read that, you know, count it all joy, my brothers and sisters, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. Let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Then I turned to the words of the Apostle Paul in Philippians and I read, you know, don't be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, Present your request to God and the peace of God which passes all understanding will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. And then I turn to the words of Jesus in Matthew 28, just before He ascended to the Father. And Jesus said, Behold, I will be with you always, even to the end of the age. I had to remind myself in the dark what God had already revealed to me in the light. And and as we're thinking about this this morning, I love the encounter finally between Jesus' followers and, and Jesus. And all of a sudden, Jesus starts to teach some things and say some things that all of His followers are like, this is too hard. This is too hot to handle. I can't be around this crazy man any longer. And they all start to leave Him. And Jesus looks at the disciples and He says, are you going to go too? Are you going to quit? Are you going to walk away too? And Peter has enough wisdom, even though Peter has foot and mouth disease, he has enough wisdom and insight to be able to look at Jesus and says, Lord, to whom else shall we go? I mean, who else are we going to go to? What 
philosophy, what saviour, what ideology, what lifestyle, what experience are you going to run to where there's life? Peter says, Lord, to whom else shall we go? Because only you have the words of life. Only you have the words of life. And this morning, you may feel in your heart like the doubts that are rising up in your heart about things that God has spoken over you, things that you've prayed for that haven't happened yet or didn't happen and you're disappointed and there's pain there. It may be causing something in you to step back and say, you know what, I'm checking out. I'm, I'm here, but I'm absent. Absent in heart, absent in mind, absent in spirit. And God is coming to you today and saying, bring your doubts to me. Don't run away with them. Bring them to me. Because I've got answers to your questions. Now, no, they may not be the direct answer you want right now, but it'll be the answer you need. Jesus will always give you the answer you need. And actually, what we need is what we need. And so, Lord, it may not be what I want, but I want what I need. And so I want to invite you to stand with me today. And I want to open up this altar just for a couple of minutes for you to actually come and bring your doubts to the altar. Bring your doubts to Jesus. If this, if this is your first time in church, you're like, what's an altar? It's altar is just a traditional church term for this front area here where we come and we acknowledge something true of what God's doing in our hearts. We acknowledge something that God is speaking to us about. And I want to invite you as we sing together just to come and stand and maybe lift your hands and and hearts to God and say, God, this is my doubt. Voice your doubt to Him. Pray your doubt to Him. This is what I'm wrestling with. This is the struggle with my family, with myself, with my body, with this, with that. And just allow the Spirit of God to take this Word and heal your heart this morning. To take away that offence. To take away that negative reaction. That scandal on that you've been wrestling with. If that's you today, I want you to get out from where you are. Come and stand. There is no shame or embarrassment in doing that because I'm right here with you. I've doubted this year. I've doubted this year more than any other year of my life. But I've come back to this truth. To whom else shall I go? To whom else shall we go? Jesus, only you have the words of life. Come on, let's just sing for a moment, then we're going to pray. We trust you enjoyed this week's message. For any more information about Activate Church, check out our website, www.activatechurch.com or download our app online and have a great week.